Jesus, may that be why we're here today. We just want to be with you. With you, Lord. Not because of the wonderful gifts that you give and disperse freely, not because of things going well all the time, Lord, but because our heart's desire is for you. We want to draw closer to you. We want to know more of you. We want to know your heart, Lord, that we trust and believe that you first loved us and that then what you call us to is this love that is a consistent thing, not a, an exchange from you, Lord, but that you call us into oneness with you. Lord, I pray that that song would be true in each of our hearts, in each of our minds, even if for right now, Lord, while we come before your word, that we all simply would renew our minds, turn our attention to you, hear and trust what you have to say, what you care about, we then would find simplicity, surrender, unity, where you care about it most, God. We look to you this morning and we love you. Thank you for being present with us. Ask that you'd help us to remove all distractions and just find ourselves responding in presence to you. Lord, we love you and we look to you this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you've sealed us with your spirit, that you speak loud and clear, that you are able to be heard, that you're active. And we are in agreement in loving and desiring and wanting more of you. And so here we are this morning, Lord, together as a local congregation, declaring that truth, saying yes and amen together. Amen. Thank you. So, church, we've been in this uh, discourse looking at Matthew's pulling together of Jesus' responding to his disciples being on the road and having an internal, thinking that they were alone, discussion between themselves about who was going to be greater in the kingdom. And it prompted Jesus to ask them why they were even having that kind of a discussion. And his responses were such in which we find ourselves in this discourse we've seen to the church. Now, essentially, Jesus came and he established his church. So when we talk about church in where we're looking at specifically in our passage this morning, he's speaking to those that are his. Remember, uh, Jesus came and died and in the gospel redeemed and saved all that are going to be in heaven are going to be there because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. His blood is what covers sin and enables us to then be made right with God. A lot of what we've been looking at and seeing in a different light is much more about the heart of God in the matter than the specific dealings with and issues of those involved. So 
uh, we looked at the sheep and the, the shepherd leaving the 99 for the one, not, not necessarily specifically honing in first and foremost on the sheep that left or the 99 that are there, but on the heart, the response, the action of the shepherd, the one that God kind of assumes himself in the role of, the one that chases after to see the heart. And that then will help us to level out wherever we might find ourselves, whether being the one leaving the 99 or the one in with the 99. The heart of the Father is what ought to kind of simplify. And we're going to continue with one more passage here this morning in this same sense of what is the heart of God. And I, and I think, church, as I've been processing through more and more of this, uh, it's been one of the most freeing things about it is that the reality is that there's anything that will help us to settle our hearts and our souls and our minds, is it not that there that we know what God really cares about in whatever the circumstance or the moment is? I mean, in all of our questions and wondering if there's anything that you could ever turn to and be solidified in as a baseline layer, it is what does God think about this? I was reminded in the course that I'm retaking on biblical preaching and hermeneutics and studying. And in the beginning aspect of it, they talked about uh, the soul and the heart of the shepherd and the importance of um, being in this place of understanding and having a deep relationship with God. And one of the examples they used is um, to kind of put a, put a check in is when, when there are issues that arise, do you automatically respond because you've already understood or is your first response is, God, what do you think about this? Where do you stand in this, Lord? And I think that it's the very same thing here in our passage as we get into it is, God, what do you care about? What makes you move? What, what is it that makes you weep, Lord? The scriptures are full of declarations of the character of our God. And that character of God is how does he maneuver with things that matter most to him? How does he respond to them? Because in knowing who our God is and what he cares most about, we then are able to solidify and settle all things underneath of that. That has to be the place that things come to to find their grounding. He is the rock. He is the place of a firm foundation. And our passage this morning is no different than that. And in fact, it's one that I believe is so much needed for you and I. Of course, I'm, I'm always thinking about our congregation locally, but I'm thinking about marriages, I'm thinking about friendships, I'm thinking about relationships with others inside and even outside of the church. And I'm gonna leave you with, I'm gonna read a number of passages, I'm just gonna front load you because I believe that at the heart of the matter of the passage that we're coming to is all about what God feels, what he believes, what he thinks, what he declares is true, and how much he desires something that is called unity. And the word unity can also be labeled as oneness. A threefold cord is not easily broken. You think about Adam and Eve and his declaration that the two leave mother and father and become one. Psalm 133, behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And is this not something that also is under attack so greatly just from the enemy alone in our culture? 
I mentioned the coexist thing that we always talk about, right? It's like, well, we can go the opposite direction and say that unity has no bounds or definitions of it, and therefore all things are unified. And that is not biblical unity either. Unity in God's heart with God's commands and God's decrees are underneath of him being the perfect creator of all. And so unity has to be submissive to what God says unity is and how it comes. I think it's always interesting because we, we find the opposite of unity in everything we possibly can in our country. I think because of our freedoms. It's often mentioned, it wouldn't take you long to pick up um, a magazine or to read an account that's been, you know, given back from someone who's been uh, overseas where the gospel is literally illegal and churches are meeting underground and the threat to them is not a slap on the wrist or jail. The threat to them is stoning and murder and beheading if they're gathering and meeting together. And they speak about how their meeting times are so intently focused on the only things that matter in that. They don't have even a quarter or an eighth, some say, of the conversations about what is truth and what isn't the way that we do in our country with all of the freedoms that we have. Unity is abundant in the church of Jesus Christ. It is alive and well overseas when everything else against it is illegal. they tend to hone in on the things that matter the most. It's almost essentially what Jesus even started with. How else do we know what the heart of God is? Well, we can even listen and look and read what Jesus prayed for. What is it that Jesus wanted and desired most? If he is uh, the son of the Trinity, Jesus in praying to the Father as an example, he says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. We've talked about how that's us. Jesus, at this period of time, on earth in front of his disciples, was praying for you and I that are his sons and daughters today. He says that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Jesus's prayer is that the world would see not the theological outskirts of the non-essentials, not the way that the church looks inside or out, not the way in which they dress or they don't dress, but that they would look at the oneness of this group of people gathered together and because of the oneness and the unification, that they would look at it, that the world may believe that you sent me. Jesus is praying that his sending from the Father and the work that he was doing is what the world would look at and find belief in God through the way that the unification happened. He doesn't stop there. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. Jesus is praying that you and I would be so unified that our unification and oneness would look like the oneness of the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I mean, it's so closely related. I don't think there's anybody that accurately describes in practical, real terms, perfectly, biblically well, what the definition of the Trinity is. Because the the three are almost inseparable, even though they have different roles, but when you look at them, they're one. 
And Jesus is literally saying, my prayer is that, is that they would be so close-knit together that their oneness would be the kind of oneness that is between you and me, Father. I in them and you in me that they may be made perfect in one. And that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire. You have a problem with Jesus feeling? He's literally using the word desire. This is a deep felt, heartfelt need that Jesus has. And it's coming out in his prayer to his heavenly father. I desire that they also whom you gave me may be one, may be with me where I am. And that they may behold my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world, O righteous Father. The world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name and will declare it. That the love with which you loved me may be in them. And I in them. Do you think Jesus cared about unity? And oneness, John 13, 34 to 35, a new commandment I give you. This is Jesus speaking again. That you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you, if you have love for one another. 1 Peter 3, 8, finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous. Proverbs 6, 16 to 19, these things the Lord hates. Seven are an abomination to him. Here's something to back up the other side of this. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren, one who acts in opposition to oneness and instead causes division, is making the list of the six things that God hates. Just the opposite of that is that he loves oneness. Acts 4.32, listen to how they responded. The multitude of those who believed were of one heart, one soul. What is our command? To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Neither did anyone say that any of the things that he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. Their oneness was so deep that their physical possessions didn't belong to any one of them individually. It practically lived itself out in their day-to-day -day life as a response of the gospel going forth and people getting saved. Do you think God cares about oneness and unity? 1 Peter 3, 8, all of you be of one mind. Have compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tender-hearted. Be courteous. Philippians 2, 2, fulfill my joy by being like-minded. Paul is saying, if you could be like-minded, if you could be oneness in the way that you think about one another, having the same love, the way that you feel about one another, being of one accord and of one mind, be of one intent, be for one purpose, love one person. Romans 14, 19, therefore let us pursue the things which make for peace 
and the things by which one may edify one another. This is not a forced kind of love, church. This is the kind of unity that is not duct taped together and forced upon one another. The call in the scripture, the heart of the Father, just like we learned, we saw the heart of the Father is so strong that he leaves the 99, not because the 99 are not as important to him, but because the one is just as important as the 99 together to him. It is the same thing here as the heart of the Father. The unity, the the desire of God is for unity and oneness. It has been from the beginning. It has existed for all of eternity between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus even prayed for us to be involved and brought into that kind of oneness so much so that Paul is led to call us to pursue the things that make for peace and things by which one may edify one another. Ephesians 4, 11 to 13, I have two more here, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the building up of those pastors and teachers so that they can be the pinnacle. It doesn't say that, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, the work of ministry that we all, as the saints in the church, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, whole man, a complete man, that word is, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This even gives the implication that Jesus disperses gifts through his Holy Spirit to believers in his son, Jesus Christ, sons and daughters of the household of God, with the intention of using those gifts to foster oneness and unity. Colossians 3, 13 to 14, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all of these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. The heart of God is for you and I to be one, brothers and sisters, period. I have been very vocal about processing through my childhood and working through relationships with my father. And I realized what keeps me pursuing my dad is that Jesus calls me to respect and honor my parents. That's it. I would have let my heart go a long time ago. And I'm realizing it's the same thing here that we have to be so full of the belief that this is what God cares about, that through all of the craziness in this world, all of the results of sin that cause division, that our grounding comes back to the fact that this is how God thinks. This is what God cares about. This is what Jesus desires for us to pursue with one another. This understanding of the heart of the heavenly father who sent his son to die so that you might be joined with him for all of eternity is the only thing that's going to be able to get us through the processes in which Jesus lays out for us very practically. But if we don't have a purpose and a reason to even get here, there's no way we even start with process number one. And so I want you to hear The passage that we are in today is not because it's a good thing to do. 
It's not because your life will be more full and complete, though you will experience an abundance (laughs) that when we do follow through with Jesus' commands and telling us and desiring the closer you get to someone and the more unified you become, I can promise you there is great blessing. But if the desire and the want for that great blessing is what's leading you to do these things, you're not going to be able to stay very long. They, They always say, right, the way that you win them to Jesus is the way that you'll have to keep them. Yeah, it's, it's very applicable, right, because of our, our pews coming in. Listen, I know that we love the history of the building and the pews, but this is, if you're here at Allenwood Church because you love what the building looks like, you're missing out on why we're all really here. You're missing out on the oneness. The, the kind of oneness as Jesus is talking about has no bearing on any outward display in this world that this world has to offer. It's the kind of oneness that even is called to inside of our marriages that is available that Jesus desires and wants. So while we're looking at this specifically for the church, I want you to hear in your marriages, there is nothing more that God desires. I think this is one of his greatest desires for you and I. We have Jesus praying for it, that we would be so unified and so in oneness. There's something so important about this that Jesus himself was praying for you and I today many years ago while he lived on this earth for you and I. That means that the thought of you being one with the Father was in the heart and the desire of Christ right there. (laughs) A long time ago. And if the world was created through Christ and you were a thought of Jesus here, do you not think you were a thought of Jesus then? This is one of the greatest embodiments of what differentiates God from any other independent, alone, free-thinking, selfish, individualistic God that is made up all across the world. The unification, perfect harmony, the importance of even having two to be able to become one. So I say all this to say, it is so important, I believe, that this is one of those things that Satan is so at work within and among you and I to divide and break us up and cause us turmoil. Because if this is such at the heart of God that just even these little passages alone, and this isn't even close to what we can come up with. If this alone is not enough for you, then I'm not sure what else will keep you, but I want you to hear that it is so important to God. And if you think that Satan's going to leave the things that are most important to God alone, you're crazy. Our passage this morning is Jesus literally giving us ways in which we are able as a congregation, as believers, as sons and daughters, as husbands and wives, as friends and brothers and sisters and co-workers and bosses and employees to be able to maintain and be growing in our unity. 
and it deals with the main way in which Satan comes to divide in his desire to steal, kill, and destroy. By the way, I don't think Satan even really cares as great as he does. I think he, he does care about killing and stealing and destroying you and I, but his ultimate desire is to do so of God. So, our passage is Matthew chapter 18 this morning. This is not an easy one. I think because of what I just shared with you. So again, just like we have over the past couple of weeks, don't ever let go of the fact that this is only important because one of God's greatest desires is for you and I to be unified and to be one. For your husband to be unified with you, for your wife to be unified with you, this is one of the things that God is about. I'll start in 12 because it's going to lead us into here. So what do you think if a man has 100 sheep and one of them goes astray? He doesn't leave the 99 and go to the mountains to seek the one that's straying. And if he'd find it, assuredly, I say to you that he rejoices more over that one sheep than over the 99 that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. And Jesus continues, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. I want you to see this alone here first. By the way, if you've been in church for any period of time, I'm sure you've had this thrown in your face at some point. Hopefully in a good way. Um, but I hope and pray that you would be able to come before this this morning the way that I'm desiring and wanting to as well. And to just kind of look at this through the heart of the Father and be able to lay your heart down before him and say, Lord, is this for me even now? Because this is something that's an ongoing process that Jesus is saying. This is how, hey, one is going to leave the 99. The heart of the father is that the one shouldn't lead. By the way, a part of the way in which that one leaves is, I think, because of this. So moreover, if your brother sins against you. So we're talking about something that specifically is an offense. What is a sin? I'm just asking you to think through that, your heart and your mind. It's interesting because there's nothing specific here. We have many lists of sin laid out for us in the New Testament and the Old. I mean, the Old Testament was full of the way in which you dealt with sin in the past. The New Testament also has many other lists. It's interesting because Jesus just says sins. Because let's be honest, we all sin against each other in many different ways, right? How would he list it out the way in which we would sin against one another? If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. We're talking about a situation of two individuals. One individual harms, hurts, does something against disunifies another individual 
Jesus is saying when this happens, if your brother, if you're in a situation where your brother or your sister sins against you, this is how you ought to respond. Now, who is he speaking to? The one that was offended or hurt. This is very important. I know that I'm going to have to go through this quickly because of my timing. If you've been hurt by someone... Jesus' way in which he calls us to deal with it is not to wait for the person that hurt you to somehow through osmosis come to the understanding that they hurt you. It is the offended's responsibility to approach the one that offended. I need you to hear this. This is hard. It is It is hard to be approached for offense, so it's hard to be on the other end. It is even harder a lot of times to be the one to have to approach after being offended. I mean, think about the years that maybe you probably have even done this. I think about all the different ways that you've been responded to. You've probably been uh, affected in such great ways that even today as we sit here, your response to this, if you are offended, is it probably is all different things to all of us right now. I mean, I've had many times where it's just easier for me to not really deal with it. That's really often what we do, isn't it? I mean, if you've been married for more than five years, happy wife, happy life. What does that mean? My, my wife is able to do whatever she wants to me. I'm able to be hurt as much as I want. And as long as she's happy, we'll be happy. You can flip that around as well. There's almost an assumption here as well that I want you to hear. You're not crazy if someone hurts you. We still live in a sin-soaked world. We're in this this church together even on a Sunday. Some of you have been offended by me and I have hurt you. I may not even know about it yet. I can't possibly read all of your minds and your hearts. Now, through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I've grown tremendously in this, I think, over the past couple of years, but I'm not anywhere close to where I need to be. I I am more and more, every time that I get up here, asking the Lord to protect my lips because it is so easy to become so just fire hydrant-y that in my attempt to lead people to Christ, I actually hurt them more. And it's a, it's a dangerous thing. There's a, there's a great call here, right? But, but you all have your own places of that, same, of that same thing. If you're married, if you have co- I mean, anywhere you're around someone else, sin is not something that we see directly affecting creation. It's not like sin's first attack is on the trees, Right? It's like, oh, there's sin in the Allenwood church, and so the walls are falling down and creaking. Sin affects you and I. Hurt people hurt people. Hurt people don't hurt things. They hurt people because only people can hurt. So if we believe that sin is real, that there is this battle that we've been freed from, that we're all in this process of becoming one, we're all in this process of becoming redeemed, I, I love to remind people, don't you dare tell me that you've fallen out of love with your spouse or you've fallen out of love with your brother or your sister because they just hurt you too much. The Bible declares that God is in process with you. That means that you woke up a different person this morning on the inside than you fell asleep as last night. Because our God is redeeming us. You can't possibly get bored with one another. You're the problem if you're bored. It's our hearts. 
We're not believing what God says and searching out then afterwards. And if this is the case, and Jesus is a Jesus that's able to change and to heal, the, uh, honey, I'm trying to be better at this. We're sharing a little bit. I'm get, trying to be a little bit more. This is me. In, in our marriage, as I have attempted to lean into this understanding that I'm still in process, I began to, in our arguments, my response was, well, just give me some grace because I'm changing. And after saying that, a couple of days, a couple of weeks, a couple of months in a row, it's kind of like, I don't, you know, she has every right to say, I'm tired of hearing that you're changing because nothing's really changed, right? And in many ways, she's, she's correct and okay to feel that way, but this is, this is relationship stuff is what I'm talking about, church. My wife and I are growing in unity. We fight for this every day. We started to pick up a, a marriage book from one of her friends that she that she has developed a relationship with her and her husband. Our, uh, her husband pastors a church down south, and they wrote this marriage book. It's like, how many, how many days? 30. No, it's, it's 30, no, how many weeks? The weekly thing we're doing on Sundays now? I don't know, it's a lot, but it's a weekly thing. <laughs> and, you know, normally we're used to, like, daily devotions, and we're like, well, this is going to take us, you know, forever to get through. So we started last Sunday night. It's a good thing it's a week-long thing because just the one instance of the one question of, of probing us and asking us, you know, we literally are sitting there and it causes you to say, hey, what was your, what was your greatest, uh, greatest difficulty this week? You know, it's just asking each other, just talking about things. And when you're the reason for the difficulty, it's like, uh-oh, <laughs> you know, wait a minute. Maybe we should find a different devotion to do, <laughs> you know? But listen, that's, that response is so lost in our culture because it's easier to just pick up and move on. There's some lie out there that says that someone somewhere else is going to meet my needs and isn't going to hurt me again. That actually prevents us from sticking around and being unified together. You know, I, I, we, I struggle with this, my, you know, own relationships. It's, it's hard on both ends when you've hurt someone else. I'll never forget, I was in ministry. We had a, a young gentleman. I was leading the young adult group, and he was my age. He played the guitar really well, and I was really doing a lot of my music at that time. And in my heart, I wanted to get together to get to know him a little bit more. But every time we got together, we would work on music. And eventually, he said, you know what? I'm not doing this anymore. I thought you wanted to get to know me. All it seems is like you want me to come and be a part of your music thing. That's not why I'm here. I never got the opportunity to keep that, that relationship restored. I never saw him again. Picked up and left. It broke my heart. I cried over that. I didn't, I didn't know I was doing it, right? If we don't even stick around on the other side to be able to work through when someone else is hurting because of us, we're missing out on unity. That is the heart of God. So if we pick up and leave from something that God cares about, it's not really displaying our love of God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. In many ways, Jesus is calling us to lean into this because this is where, number one, unity is attacked, but it's also where unity becomes more unified, if you consider and think about that. The first aspect he calls us to is if your brother sins against you, if you are hurt. Now, a lot of times... There's the debate about, is this a big sin? Is it a small sin? Is it whatever it is? Regardless, I don't think we should even be asking that question. You know 
when something inside of you is hurting. Maybe you don't. I mean, listen, there's also the response to this. You have to be asking the Holy Spirit to reveal to you. Are you numb to your feelings when somebody hurts you? Because if you've numbed how someone else has responded to you to the point where, ah, Jesus would never let me, you know, do that. I don't really, Jesus doesn't really want me to have to feel that way, so I'm just going to ignore it and pretend. Well, then we're not working towards unity anymore. You can't. You're just staying right where you are because we're not letting anybody else in. We're not talking about it. We're not growing together. And that growth hurts sometimes, but, but I want you to hear this. Any sin, any, if, if you're walking today, this morning, I wanted to challenge you. I wanted to encourage you. Has someone hurt you? Have I, even, even me, I'm opening myself up for this. Even me, if I've hurt you, if I've said something, not only for your sake, but even for mine. And not only for your sake or my sake, but for the sake of all of us. If you think about this, if one of us is not doing this well, everybody else is affected. Jesus even talks about inside of the marriage relationship, if a husband neglects his wife, he's really only neglecting himself. If we are allowing from what someone else is hurting us to cause separation and division, we're only hurting the rest of the body. But Jesus says, when this is there, if you're walking in my spirit, if you're drawing near to me, it's okay to feel the things that are wrong. Sin is opposite of God's desire. So if we hurt one another, it's not, it's not because God doesn't care. God does care. It's that we've kind of developed this system, this way of pretending like everything's okay, and then all of a sudden, we weren't won by the love and the unity of God. We were won by something else, and it's just not keeping us anymore. You go and tell him or her, there's a neutrality here in this verse, his fault between you and him alone. Don't let your left hand know what your right is doing. The first stage is to be done strictly in private between you and him alone so as to avoid spreading unnecessarily the knowledge of the person's sin. This is not to be done in quiet so it doesn't ever get dealt with. This is deal with it, but do it quietly together. If he hears you, then you've gained your brother. Gained. What does it mean to gain something? To re receive something back again. If sin causes division, if you think about your relationship with God, if you sin, the Bible, the Bible says, do not harden your heart to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Because if you sin and harden your heart, it causes a separation between you and God. Now, if you've been saved and redeemed, then the final result of that, no one can take Christ away from you in that aspect. But our hurting the Lord over and over again stunts our growth. It stunts our unity. It stunts your walk. It, it will stunt all of the blessings of being unified. There's a blessing in our being more and more unified that we will be missing out on if we don't do. So if he hears you, you have this conversation in private, you've gained a brother or a sister back. Have you had this experience in your life? I hope that you have. I hope and pray that you have not been so deceived that you've never been able to be restored with someone who's hurt you before? You know, in our culture, it is common to say, 
Anybody know what I'm going, where, where I'm going right, right now? I love them. I just don't love them the way I used to. Yeah, I'm still friends with him. I'm just not really close friends with them. That's not unity. That's not the intent here. Every bit of the heart of God is one of complete restoration and unity and oneness. You do that too long, it will end in divorce. And I don't think divorce is even something that needs to happen on a paper between a husband and a wife. I think many of us have been divorced way too many times from other members of the body of Christ. We've handed them our papers and we've moved on. Maybe a little bit extra biblical, but I hope that you can hear my thought process there. We always think of oneness only residing in a husband and a wife, but Jesus' call is oneness for the church because a husband and wife's relationship is a picture of Christ and his church. So how can the hand say to the foot, I don't need you anymore, be gone? I'm not anywhere near where I wanted to be, and we're like way over time. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. But if he will not hear you, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. You know, there's great benefit to this. I want you to hear the heart of any of this is not to prove one right over the other. It's not to harm one over the other. In fact, it's quite the opposite. The heart and desire for approaching times when we are offended or hurt by one another is not to settle the deal once and all and think that that's what's going to heal us, but to come to the realization and the belief that real healing comes in unity again. And so the next step here, Jesus is saying, if that brother's not responding to you, then you need to bring someone else along that can be a witness for every word. I have a, a couple of passages that I'm not even going to have time to get to. We'll have to do this. Um, we'll have to continue on here. But I'll give you, give you one point just because I don't want you to leave without this. And you've probably heard me say this. If you haven't, I hope this is new and fresh and lands on your heart in a way. You know, sometimes our sin, the way that we think we've been sinned against, we might not even have been sinned against. We might just feel like we've been sinned against. And Jesus' purpose and point in this is that if we're even coming to our brother, not for the wrong reasons, but for the right ones to be unified, then there, there's a possibility we have to come to our brother that maybe we've heard things wrong or we've misunderstood things wrong. And when you just can't, like, it's not uncommon for you to not be able to do this one another in private. It's okay to go to another witness or two. There's uh, plenty of, of passages. Even, even in Revelation, when Jesus comes back, he says, I will give my power to how many witnesses? Two. That they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. 
2 Corinthians 13, 1, Paul even says this will be the third time of coming to you. Paul's having problems speaking to and correcting the Corinthian church. He says, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word will be established. He says, I've attempted to deal this with you in a loving way, and you're not listening. And so when this comes, it will be established by two or three witnesses. This will be sorted out. There will be no question anymore because it will be the multitude of counsel that will be able to help see, fit, and bring closer to unity, not again, to get the legal ramifications of who is due or who is not due. Both are due, church. The heart of the Father is that both are due, the offended and the one doing the offending. They're both due for unity. The only thing that makes an expectation valid is when it's agreed upon by both parties. I think one of the biggest things that makes it difficult for us to get past even step one is that sometimes we assume other people hurt us intentionally and they really, like, there was never an agreement that we wouldn't do that. It's one of the most freeing things for us in our marriage. There were so many things that we held in our mind and in our heart that we expected the other person to do or to not do. That when we got a couple years into our marriage, we, we had all of this stuff built up where we've, we have a list of things that each other had done to one another in a wrong way. And when we finally went before another party, they said, wait a minute, did you ever agree that you would do that? I always laugh about the taking the trash out thing. I grew up in a family where if you were the one that noticed the trash was full, it was your responsibility to take it out. Laura grew up in a family where if you were the head of the household, you took the trash out. We didn't figure out that to solve that problem, we just needed to talk about it and decide what one we were going to go with. It took us years. <laughs> Arguments and divisions. For what? Because of a silly expectation. Sometimes it just takes a third party to go, wait a minute, guys. Is this really, is this really what you're calling this deep, dark sin that's hurt you so much? When we see the heart of the Father, when we see that the intent of this is for the sake of unity, doesn't it help level the playing field? I, I can't even continue anymore because I don't have enough time. I'd encourage you to go home and read the rest of this passage because we're going to finish this next Sunday. Let's just even, this is good. Just to stop with step one. Have you been pretending like someone hasn't hurt you for a while? There's there, uh, even someone in here this morning. I'm so grateful. There was a period of time where I did not follow through with a part of my pastoral responsibility and I got a phone call, and they said, hey, this is how I'm feeling. And I was given the opportunity to say, that was wrong of me. I'm sorry. Do you know how often I don't get that? We all need this. None of us are exempt from it. We are always going to have times, especially as we get more into life groups, the more time that you spend with someone, the more opportunity you're going to have to be sinned against and to sin towards. It's just going to happen. And if we believe that God cares about unity, if he cares about love because he loves you just as much as he loves the other person, that he saved through the same blood. We're covered with the same blood. Do you understand that? You got the same blood sprinkled on you that I have sprinkled on me. Yours is not more holy and righteous because you were a little bit cleaner when it came than I was. If you hear anything from today, the heart of God is for unity. Start there. Start there in your heart. Where has your heart not been lined up with the heart of God? For the sake of 
your relationship within the other party, for the sake of the church as a whole, for the sake of the world that is looking at the church to see the salvation and the love of God. Jesus prayed that they would see the unity in the way in which we related with one another and believe in him. Not anything else, not our works, not the things we did or didn't do, not the way that the pews were or weren't or the clothes that you did wear or you didn't wear. When they look at us and they see the way that we are unified in the love of God, that they will come to know and believe in God. That's what he prayed for. That's what he prayed for, for you and for me and for us. Now there's a lot more to be gained here and we'll continue forward. I'm gonna end in prayer and we'll close out together. Lord Jesus, we trust God that you are,